chapter 2. We're going to look at a fantastic, amazing account of something that happened in the life of Jesus very early on in his ministry. Water to wine to glory, the wedding at Cana. Allow me to read the word of God. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. <laughs> this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this glorious account. Lord, would you and your precious work in our hearts open up our, our souls and our minds, our hearts, to see this beautiful work and to understand it, that you would teach us today. It, it ends with, and his disciples believed in him. And Lord, we pray that we, as followers of Jesus, will believe in him even more because we have come, we've heard your word today, we've thought about this first sign. So Lord, please, oh Lord, and, and our whole motivation in the, the entire day together is that you would be glorified, oh Lord. We offer our, our feeble attempts uh, to you, but we put them in your fully capable hands. And uh, Father, as the the word of God says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we just came off of the beautiful interaction between um, Jesus and Nathaniel last week at the end of chapter one. And if you can remember, uh, Jesus made a dogmatic, you know, pulpit-pounding, except he didn't have a pulpit, of course, uh, pulpit-pounding prediction that, that implies all sorts of levels that you and I can never, ever, ever even think of attaining. Uh, 
he made this prediction to Nathaniel. Nathaniel is, you know, just blown away because Jesus uh, reveals, uh, see verse 48 of chapter 1, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? <laughs> Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, you know, that could be sort of explained on sort of a natural level, like, oh, he's saying that I strolled by and I happened to see you there, right? But, but Nathaniel doesn't take it that way at all. <laughs> no, he knows that no one saw him under this fig tree. Who knows? Maybe it was in his backyard. I don't know exactly. But look at his response. Remember his response we looked at last week. He says three things right off. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, this is a great sign of respect. You're, you're a great teacher. Rabbi, you are the son of God. <laughs> Remember old Nebuchadnezzar said that, right? Remember when he said that? He said that when he threw three of these Jewish rascals into a furnace that was so hot that literally the people who threw them in died. And he saw them walking around inside the furnace with a fourth individual. And he said, there's somebody like the Son of God in there. <laughs> and they, they came out and he had an interview, a, a post-conflagration interview with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so Nathaniel has experienced a miracle, and he's gaping wide. <gasps> what? You're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Just whom we, we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. We're looking for help. We're oppressed. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're oppressed by Rome. Their taxes are crazy. We hate them. They hate us. Their rulers can arbitrarily just kill us. This, this truly happened in Rome. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, we complain sometimes about our politicians, and rightly so. Right? They seem to be a little too much just like us, you know, over and over again. Uh, but the Roman politicians were, oh, my lands, you know. They were horrendous, horrendous. Nero uh, would be reigning in a, you know, a, a few decades from here. And, and all I'm saying is the Jews were saying, please, we need help. We need a king. We need somebody who's strong to stand up against these Romans. And Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He's not reprimanding him. He's happy that Nathaniel is believing because he experienced a personal miracle from Jesus. But I love what he says, and this is where I said at the beginning, this is the pulpit-pounding, emphatic, ridiculously wonderful uh, promise that only God can make at all. Be I, because, I, you know, you saw, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, here's the pulpit pounding, truly, truly, absolutely, certainly, amen is the literal word he says here is amen. And it, it sticks out. No one else said this. We don't know where, you know, Jesus came up with this. Imagine that, the word of God, come, coining words. Yeah. Uh, you didn't coin the word, but the expression, the idiom. He brings it out. He's like, amen, amen. <laughs> this is absolutely certain. And I can't, like I said last week, I, you and I, we can't say anything absolutely certainly. Right? 
We, I, I, again, like I said last week, do we know that this building will absolutely certainly be standing in five minutes? No. Right? We don't. We think we do, and we all hope it does, more or less. <laughs> but we really don't. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Only God knows. He, he knows the future. He creates the future. It's just, he sustains the future. The future is dependent upon him. And so Jesus can say, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a reference back to Jacob's ladder. You know, again, can't unwrap all of that, uh, but Jacob's ladder, he was out camping, fleeing from his brother, and... Uh, put his head on a rock and was asleep and had a, a big crazy dream, saw heaven open. He said, this place is Bethel. This is certainly the gate of heaven. And I see a, a ladder and there's angels in, uh, ascending and descending on the ladder. And Jesus says, yes, they are ascending and descending on the Son of Man, me. I am the connection to heaven. And you're going to see that, Nate. You will see it. So, very next thing, we have our little story today. It's a, a, a little bit of that prediction coming to pass. Look, I want to take as the theme for my message the uh, verse 11. This, the first of his signs, uh, John chooses this word sign. It, it is a miracle, but he doesn't call it a miracle. He calls it a demonstration a show, uh, a time to reveal. And he'll, 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 Bible interpreters like to try to analyze things, and sometimes they overanalyze stuff, right? Uh, because a lot of them say, well, there's seven signs in the book of John. And others say, well, it's not quite that clear. Maybe there's eight. And so John probably didn't, you know, exactly have um, in mind, okay, this is my outline, seven signs I'm going to list. Uh, he lists probably eight of them, but over the time, you know, if you stay with me for all 156 parts of this series, <laughs> um, I actually haven't all laid it all out yet, but um, it might be 157, I'm not sure. <laughs> but if you do, we're going we're gonna to run into this, this formula. It's a formula that John the author puts in here. Uh, the sign. This is a sign. This is a demonstration, a special sign. This, the first of his signs. Uh, it's the word first is the, the same word, arche, as he says in John 1, 1, in the beginning, in arche, in the primary, in the first. And this is the, the first sign uh, that Jesus did. And Jesus did this one at Cana in Galilee, and it, it manifested. Now, that's kind of a wonderful English word that... I love the English Standard Version. I, I really do. Or I like it a lot. We're still dating. I'm not sure. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. But I, I really like it a lot. But, but they, they do have sort of a respect for um, older English connections. And they, they, they specifically try to connect with the King James... Uh, history, which is a good idea. It's an amazing history. I'm all for it. Uh, but here's a place where they've chosen a word that, honestly, we just don't use anymore. Do you, you ever use the word manifest? 
no, let's face it, we never use this word. <laughs> it was manifestly a good day. Yes. <laughs> um, we just don't use it anymore, but, but we kind of sort of, if you're, you know, if you're over a certain age, you probably remember the word. Uh, in fact, there used to be a thing when you get a, sh a shipment, there would be a manifest. You ever heard of that word? A manifest. And you know what that manifest would be? It would be uh, a comprehensive invoice that would tell you everything that's in the shipment. It's a, a revelation. It brings to light. It, is it on the manifest? It, sh it should be in the shipment. And this word manifest is important. Uh, it's a fa... It means to bring to light, to set in a clear light, to manifest. Okay, that's helpful. <laughs> Let's define manifest. It means to manifest. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't write that part. <laughs> uh, manifest to display. We had a display here this morning. That's part of what baptism is. It manifests what we believe about salvation. Uh, that through the work of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we're literally baptized into Christ, literally baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. We're connected, and we rise with him in newness of life, as it's taught in Romans chapter 6, to display, to show, to declare, to make known, to disclose, to reveal, to present to view, specifically of Christ, that he, he's laid bare, to appear in true character. Um, so this is the word. This, this whole story is to, to manifest, what does it say? Manifest what? His glory. How good he is. How amazing he is. Jesus Christ. To show it. To make it clear. And the goal of it is there in verse 11 too. And his disciples believed in him. He demonstrates his glory so that we believe in him. Now, you and I don't get to see miracles or signs like this firsthand very much. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we get to see things, you know, little things. Like, honestly, even this morning, I, I had this little thing where I, I, had, I had read a commentary and had a list of references and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I looked for seven or eight minutes, and finally I said, maybe I should pray. I mean, I could give it a try, you know. <laughs> so I prayed, just, oh, Lord, please help me find this. And I'm not kidding. In 33 seconds or whatever, boom, there it was. It popped off the page. You, you have that happen, right? It, it happens all the time. But it's not quite the same as, as the uh, wine and the water thingy or like a dead person coming to life those sorts of things. So manifest is glory. That's going to be my outline today. Let's work through it uh, together. Let's see if I can get my... There, there it did work. Uh, okay. Exclusive glory. This is my outline today. Exclusive glory, expansive glory, and excellent glory. Exclusive, expansive, and excellent glory. He manifests his glory. Now, part of the whole story of Jesus is that he's there. He's with us. Uh, the introduction to John's gospel gives us the themes of the gospel. And verse 14 of chapter 1 says, And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. He lived with us. Jesus is at this wedding. He's really there. Jesus alone is he's the perfect union. He's man-God. And no one else in all of human history could attend a wedding and personally create wine at that wedding. No one. Jesus alone can do this. He's unique in this. He's, he's the perfect role for, for these sorts of miracles that he does. And also, uh, in this text, there's this, it's kind of uncomfortable. And, and you might say, well, that was an unfortunate text for Mother's Day. Uh, <laughs> he works alone. It's exclusive glory. He works alone. And let's spend a little bit on this um, interaction between Jesus and, and Mary. Um, we don't know. Okay, we, we, just, we you have to be humble about this and, uh, and be cautious. May I, may I really recommend that? Be humble and cautious because God tells us what we need to know and if he doesn't tell us, we didn't need to know that. Uh, but what we do know is they're at this wedding and the wine runs out and the mother of Jesus comes to him and says they have no wine. Now, this is what we don't know. We don't know if she was asking Jesus to procure wine, to make wine. We don't know. Maybe she was just coming commiserating. Uh, maybe she was coming like my wife does this all the time. When there's a problem, she'll come to the kids and just sort of share it. Like, oh my goodness, can you believe this happened? You know, what's going on here? Uh, there's, there's a high probability that since she was there and Jesus and the disciples that this was like a close family sort of wedding or at least really good friends and she was probably on the committee making sure things went well. And, and so she definitely has her hand on the pulse of the party and she's upset about this. But we don't, I, I, I personally really don't think she's asking Jesus to do a miracle. I really don't think so. I think that would be kind of crazy because uh, he hasn't done miracles yet. Uh, there's some fables, there's some myths that he did miracles when he was a kid, but, but that, that didn't happen. There, there's no history for that. Uh, there's just no evidence for that. that it's, honestly, we're really close to certain <laughs> that did not happen. So she's not saying, do a miracle here. Uh, she's just bringing him the need. But that makes his response a little bit even stranger. First of all, he says to her, woman. He doesn't call her mother. He doesn't address her as mother. And it, it's, in English, it sounds like a, a rude rebuke, doesn't it? I mean, don't try this at home, but husbands say, woman, <laughs> get in here and make me some bean dip. <laughs> this is, no, not on Mother's Day particularly. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it ain't gonna work it's just this is uh, you know, any sentence that begins with woman <laughs> is bound to end in a bad place okay <laughs> just mark that down somewhere uh, but it, it it's not that way in in the culture uh, of jesus and uh and his time for example remember on the cross when jesus is dying his mother is there and John and another woman. 
And he says to her, woman, same exact word right there. Woman, and he uh, says, look at your son. Probably a reference to John. Look at John, and jo John, look at your mother. He's assigning John to take care of his mother from that time forward. But given that, it isn't, it's not insulting, but it is a distance, particularly combined with what he says next, right? It really means, what is this to me and to you? Is, and the English Standard says, there's lots of ways to translate this. They say, what does this have to do with me? There's a distance here. He's saying, you know, why did you bring me this? This, this? I'm not responsible for this. This is not my job. He's definitely drawing a line. He's really saying to his mother, there's a line here, and you're crossing a... a Yes, no, no, I know it's, it's alarming, but this... <laughs> Don't say it! <laughs> no, he's saying there's, there's a boundary here, and I am your son, and you are my mother, but I'm not going to even use the term mother here, and I, I'm not going to allow you to push me uh, in this matter. What, do I, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that's another one of the formulas in the book of John that we'll come to several times. Uh, I think he uses it four or five times. Or actually, I think it's even more. It might be up to eight times. I looked at them. And it's always a reference to the cross. That's when his hour comes, when he comes to do his, his main thing. And, and what he's saying to Mary, and she no doubt doesn't understand it, I think that's pretty clear, too. Uh, it's a little bit of a mystery, uh, what's going on here. Uh, but he, what he's saying to her is, listen, uh, I'm not ready to come out pu publicly and display all of my glory, uh, because that's going to push me quicker. And on a human level, he suppresses this several times. Uh, it's going to push me closer to my ultimate goal, but that's still two and a half, three years away. So he definitely draws a line, and, and this is part of the exclusiveness of, of Jesus, too. He works alone. Um, this is not any, in any way setting up Mary as having a closer connection to God than anybody else, right? Uh, Mary is, there's a line drawn there. No, you're not going to push me into this. This in no way connects Mary closer to Jesus than any other human being, which is quite amazing. He'll even say later, right, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? They're those who obey me, who know me. Uh, this, this is uh, a quote here from a commentator named uh, A.W. Pink. It was written about 100 years ago. Uh, he says, again, the employment of this term woman denotes Christ's omniscience. Now, he, he's thinking here a little bit. He might be stretching it a little bit, but I like what he's, what he's thinking. Uh, it denotes Christ's omniscience. With prophetic foresight, he anticipated the horrible idolatry which was to as ascribe divine honors to her. He knew that in the centuries which were to follow, men would entitle her the queen of angels and the mother of God. Hence, he refused to use a term 
which would in any wise countenance the monstrous system of Mariolatry. Christ would here teach us that Mary was only a woman. Uh, it says in the gospel, blessed among women, not blessed above women. A.W. Pink. And I think he's on to something here. Uh, this would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, you know, if you really want to get my attention, talk to my mother. <laughs> That's not the case at all. Jesus, th this story is not about glory to anybody else, is it? And, and actually, in Christian theology, this is really strong, that when you start to deviate glory from Jesus, you start to lower his glory, and people share his glory, and they become almost as important as Jesus. And this has happened in Christian denominations. It really happens. Uh, they, they, some people say Jesus, excuse me, that Mary is the co-mediatrix. A mediator is somebody who goes between two individuals, and they, you, Google it, you can find it. Don't do it right now, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, co-mediatrix. They literally say that Jesus and Mary are on this like par of being mediators between God and man. This is way off. This story is not to bring glory to anyone else. <laughs> anyone else. And Jesus is off-putting here. It's almost to the sense of being rude to, to Mary. It may make us uncomfortable but it has a divine theological purpose. Uh, let me, one of, let's turn in our Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Every once in a while I do say this, but it's, it's essential that we know who is the Savior. And it, it's important to know his adequacy as the Savior. Is he fully adequate, or does he need help? Is he fully compassionate, or does he have a hole in his compassion? Uh, no, he's fully, fully, fully competent to save us. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Listen to the Word of God. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So important. There's one mediator. And the minute you start thinking there's some other mediator, I don't care who you think it might be, you're lowering your estimation of the adequacy of Jesus. And this sign is one of many. The whole book, the whole Bible is written to say Jesus alone deserves exclusive glory, exclusive glory. He works alone. He intends to have his disciples believe, what? In him. I mean, that sounds kind of basic, but that's what the text says. <laughs> There's none of this sort of Disney, just believe. 
No, believe in yourself, you know, believe in this, believe in that, you know, have faith. No, it's very specific. Have faith in, in him, in Jesus. This sign is to show his glory exclusively. We worship him and him alone. He intends to have his disciples believe in him. Now, look at my next point. Extan expansive glory, expansive glory. We go from the small to the great when we think about the power of Jesus and when we think about his work. Uh, in the end of John 1, I already read it, he says to Nate, Nathaniel, he says, listen, you're going to see greater. And notice the, the emphasis on see. It's related to that word uh, manifest. It, it will be demonstrated. You'll see it. You'll experience it you will see greater than this, this miracle of my omniscience that you personally experienced. You'll see greater, truly, truly. You'll see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You'll see everything that I am. The, and this expansive glory, it is, it's, it's really kind of interesting. What does he do here? Well, the wine has run out. And there are these bottles, these empty stone water jars there for the, the Jewish rites of purification. We're going to think about that in a minute or so, but you know, just allow yourselves to think a little bit. This is a Jewish home, and they're having a big wedding. And they probably brought these jars in to provide courteously for the ritual washings of everybody at the party. Uh, you, you take a bowl of water and pour it on their hands and allow them to wash uh, in ceremonial purification in order to enjoy the big party. They're probably empty because they had all already washed. Uh, and there's these six jars. Now, remember I a little bit of tiny teaching here Back in verse 18, we have a wonderful Greek verb uh, of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, by the end of John, in lesson 157, I'll expect you to know this. <laughs> I won't mention it every week. But this is a glorious Greek verb. It's the word, we get our English word exegesis from. Why is it glorious? Because that's, when, when you go to seminary, you learn how to become an exegete. <laughs> you learn to do exegesis. And it all is based on this simple idea, to, to bring out. You hear the word exodus, exodus. Uh, that's the road out. Exegesis is to bring out of a passage. Now, the opposite, the thing we abhor is uh, pronounced in English, eisegesis, the Greek prefix ace, into, which means I, I read into the Bible what I want to find there, right? Exegesis. And so the glorious verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, Jesus Christ has exegeted God. Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what he's about? Study Jesus. Get to know him. He's brought out the truth of who Jesus is. Now, 
here's a good illustration of exegesis versus eisegesis. It, notice it says there were six stone water jars there. Now, I, I, I'm going to do some exegesis here, and I'm going to tell you exactly what this wonderful metaphor is, okay? What this means is that there were six stone jars there. That's what it means. <laughs> the wonderful, symbolic nature of this text. <laughs> you know, the, the old-time commentators, like way back, even uh, Augustine and all those folks, they'd love to sort of like just go to town on something like this, you know, bring out all kinds of interesting but not necessarily textual uh, meanings here. No, there's six stone jars, and it really means there's, there's a lot of them, and they're big, and they hold 20 or 30 gallons each. So it's just like, um, conservative evidence, uh, conser conservative guess here. Estimation is, say, 150 gallons, 150 gallons. Fill it up to the brim. What does he do then? He makes it into wine. He doesn't touch it. We don't know exactly how it happens, but he makes apparently 150 gallons of wine 150 gallons of wine now that's an awful lot of wine that's expensive <laughs> that's a lot it's roughly 760 760 bottles of wine and it would feed if if everybody had one more five ounce glass of wine it would uh, give 3800 people 3800 people five ounces of wine <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's, just, it's the idea of abundance. It's a massive. It's, it's really big. Now, it, it's not nearly, I mean, it's like nothing compared to the fact that he created the entire universe, right? Uh, and that he sustains every single molecule that exists. Um, no. But here at this wedding, this was a really big deal. This is really cool. Uh, he has capacity. He has ability. He can do amazing things. There's an endless supply of wine here. And uh, another question, how long does it take to make wine? Well, good wine, apparently this is very good wine, will take, you know, years. You have to leave it in the barrel or in the bottle for a very long time. And yet, when he created it here, it tasted super old, didn't it? The experience of his creation was, wow, this is really old. This is really good. No, it's 30 seconds old. But he creates it with the experience, the appearance of age. Expansive glory. He has a power that's amazing from small to great. The endless supply of wine. Now let's end on this. Excellent glory. What is this about here? I, I do think that John is on to something deep and wonderful here. This wonderful story, what does it say? What does it say? Well, on the really super, only surface literal level, which actually is fine if you just want to stop there, that's probably good enough, is that Jesus is amazing. He's amazing. Yes, he's unbelievable. Powerfully. He's powerful. He can do stuff that no one else could possibly ever do. This is insane. This cannot be done. You, you cannot take 150 gallons of water and 
Make it into wine that seems like it's several years old. You can't even make it into grape juice, you know? <laughs> you can't do anything with it. It doesn't matter how old it is, you just can't do it. So we come to the nature of Jesus. We see that he is what he said he is. He's, he's, the Bible says he's God and man. He's the man God. He has un, <laughs> unlimited power. And, and honestly, if he can do this, can he help a pastor find a page in a commentary? <laughs> oh, no, that's too much to ask. <laughs> no, it's not too much to ask. You know, can, can he help us in the really bigger crisis that we face on a daily basis? Yes, he can. Does he answer prayer? Yes, he does. Should we keep praying? Yes, we should. What does the rebuff of Mary say, though, when he rebuffed Mary? There, by the way, the best scholarship says it's absolutely clearly a gentle rebuff. Okay? A lot of people work really hard to make it seem really polite, and that's not true. Okay? It, he definitely draws a line here. And, and, you know, on Mother's Day, let's just celebrate an idea here. This is from my wife, so if you don't like it. <laughs> she says, you know, one thing you could say, on a human level, Mary was a successful mom because she raised a son who knew his calling, and he was ready to be honest with his mother even if it was uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Jesus and Nathaniel were blunt people. And they didn't do everything that made everybody comfortable all the time, did they? We'll discover that over and over and over again. Somebody said, well, why don't you be like Jesus? Okay, you couldn't handle somebody like Jesus, you know. <laughs> he, was, he was very rude uh, on occasion, right? And he, what he said here, there's no way to interpret in any way that it wasn't a line. It's really a put-off saying, you know, gently, Woman, leave me alone. <laughs> Definitely the case. So she's, he's a strong man who knows his mission on a human level. So what does that say to us about this idea about bringing stuff to him? We, we always bring stuff to him just like Mary. You know, Notice her response. She didn't get her hackles up. She didn't walk away in a huff, did she? Like our flesh would normally want to do. Or she didn't come back with some sort of retort. Like, wait till we get home there. <laughs> um, there's actually a lot of beautiful layers here that are high probability issues. Like, probably Joseph is dead, her husband, and, and she's been depending on her oldest son uh, for a long time. He's 30, 30 years old or so, and he probably has been living in the house up till now. Uh, so, but he's leaving. And remember the prophecy, for, was it Simeon, right? A sword will come into you or something like that. I remember the sword part. Uh, it's a prophecy to Mary. You know, this is not going to be pleasant for you. It's going to be very, very difficult. So, so but, but all of that to say, our response to, to God Almighty, to the sovereign God, even when we bring intense prayer requests to him ought to be something like what Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Total submission, okay. Somehow, just do whatever, Lord. I commit it to you. 
not my will, but your will be done. And, and like I said, that's enough. That's excellent glory. But John is definitely giving us some hints that something wonderful and bigger is going on in this story. Uh, let me ask you a few questions. What does it take to have endless joy? The Messiah must provide. It takes a miracle from the loving God to give you and I an endless supply of joy. Because on a human level, we may have pleasure. We may have wine on a human level, but it will run out if it is without Jesus Christ. We studied at the end of John chapter 1 that Jesus, not at the end, the end of the introduction, that Jesus is, is full. He's full to the brim. Look at what it says here uh, in John chapter 1. It's so, so beautiful. It says in verse 16, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Once again, it's that exclusive glory. He's full of glory, full of capacity, full of capability. He's fully able to save me and you. Trust him. Trust him alone. How full is full of his fullness? We've all received grace upon grace. It's truly remarkable that he creates 150 gallons of the best wine ever. And it's symbolic of this greater miracle from the lesser to the greater that he provides joy to us undeserving sinners. In the human system, in the human system, the only thing we have are empty stone jars. That, yeah, we can put water in them, but we can't make it into wine. We can't make it into eternal wine. That takes Jesus. He can meet our hopes and expectations. Without Jesus, all we have is empty stone jars. And there's a glass of wine. I think that must be it. Oh, sorry. I'm, ah, there we go. <laughs> the human wine will run out. The, the, notice that, that he says this, the water was for the rite of Jewish purification. He's definitely leading us to see the transition from the law of Moses and the whole culture of the Jewish law and purification. That only takes you so far. It cannot fully satisfy you. Only He can. The Savior, the Messiah, must bring us eternal joy. The best the world can offer is a great temporary party. Eventually, the wine will run out, and we must turn to Him. When With Jesus, we can have endless joy. Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Here, let me, there, there's several times in prophecies about the Messiah that describe his work in this way. For example, this is Moses, excuse me, Amos, Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. What this is saying is the Messiah wants to bring us real joy, lasting 
permanent, secure relationship with him. With Jesus, you can have endless joy. Who can actually meet our expectations? Jesus alone can. Why? Because he has exclusive glory, he has expansive glory, and he has excellent glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reality of Jesus. We pray that we will see him as he is, that you and your kindness would reveal the glory of Jesus to each of us, that we would reach out and trust in him more. The end of this story says that his disciples believed in him. Those who had already said, yeah, I follow Jesus, they believed more, they trusted him more, they walked more closely because they saw his glory. Help us to see the glory of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.